0: Hi, my name is Reena. Welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Has he kept his promise? How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through history to find the answer here on Kids Talk Church History. In 662, an 82-year-old man was brought to t- trial in front of a court in Constantinople. When he refused to back down on his beliefs, he was flogged and his tongue and right hand were cut off. He died soon afterwards in exile because he insisted on confessing what he believed to be the truth. He is remembered as Maximus the Confessor. I am Trindy. I am 15 and I live in Charleston, South Carolina.
1: Now I'm Emma. I'm also 15 and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina.
2: And I'm Sophia. I am 14 and live in Orlando, Florida.
1: That seems like a drastic punishment for an 82-year-old man to flog him and cut off his tongue and right hand.
0: And there was meaning to that because he um, he kept sharing his beliefs by both speaking and by writing. So without a tongue and a right hand, he couldn't do much of that.
2: But why was this teaching so terrible?
0: He taught that if Jesus had two natures, one human and one divine, he also had two wills. That means that as a man, he was free to want something contrary to God's will, even if he never did. So that's it? Who punished him? It's actually a long story. To understand, we have to go back to a church council in 451, the Council of Chalcedon, where the church discussed what it meant for Jesus to be fully God and fully man. We have talked about these things in an episode about Athanasius and also one about heresies. Anyhow, they wrote down very clearly that Jesus had two natures, human and divine, and that these are different but not divided. But at the beginning of the 7th century, some Christians were still not in agreement about this. Some said it sounded as if Jesus was divided into two persons. These disagreements were so strong that even the emperor was concerned.
1: Yeah, so we've seen this happen before where emperors wanted everyone to believe the same thing for the. You know, the, the steadiness of the, the empire.
0: And that's because at that same time, some people actually fought in the streets. And in some cases, a whole nation under the emperor chose to believe one thing and another nation another.
1: Yeah. So I heard that Emperor Justinian believed that Jesus had two natures, but his wife, Theodora, believed that Jesus only had one.
0: That must have been pretty awkward. Yeah, and once Justinian sent some missionaries to evangelize Nubia in North Africa, and Theodora also sent another group making sure that her group got there first. So when Justinian's missionaries arrived, the Nubians were already convinced that Jesus had only one nature. Oh, the
1: joy of church history.
0: (laughs) So to fix this problem of the two natures, some tried to come up with other words. A bishop named Sergius said that Jesus had two natures, but one energy. The other bishops liked it. In fact, the patriarch of Alexandria announced a feast to celebrate this agreement. But one monk pointed out that one energy sounded too much like one nature. So Sergius went back to the drawing board. Finally, he proposed the expression one will. After that, he thought, we can't say that Jesus the man wanted one thing and Jesus God's son wanted another, right? The solution seemed perfect. But this is where Maximus comes in.
2: And he disagreed, right?
0: Yeah, because he remembered one verse from the Bible. Can you guess which one?
2: Not my will, but yours be done.
0: Yes, Luke 22, verse 42, where Jesus said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Maximus believed that Jesus really meant what he said and that his human will would have much preferred escaping the cross.
1: It makes sense, because if you don't have your own will, you're not a human being. You are a robot.
2: Right. And to save humanity, Jesus had to be fully man in body and soul, which included his will. It seems biblical to me. It seems very strange that
1: he would be treated so harshly for that.
0: I have a lot of questions about this topic, too, but we have the perfect person to answer them. Dr. Jordan Wood, author of The Whole Mystery of Christ, Creation as Incarnation, in Maximus Confessor. Dr. Wood, thank you so much for joining us.
3: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: First, I read that you have four daughters. Um, Would you like to share how old they are?
3: Yes, of course. Uh, I always like to talk about my daughters. Um, My oldest is Raina. She's eight. Then I have another called Edith. She is almost seven. Uh, I have another called Magdalena. She's four and she's the smallest physically, but the largest personality. (laughs) And then the fourth is uh, Fanula, and she's also almost two.
0: I hope they will be listening to our podcast. Yes, um. of
3: course. I make them do it. That's how <laughs> they get their allowance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Also, can you tell us if what we said earlier is correct? We just summed up something that we had read.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, no. I think you guys did a fantastic job. Um yeah, there's a lot of, you know, as as these things develop and people start arguing, you you maybe have been involved in conversations before where it's like it gets more and more detailed as you go. And so there's a whole bunch of details. But I think you, you did a great job summing up kind of the big picture.
0: OK, great. Um, a question that I personally had was who arrested and condemned Maximus?
3: Oh, that's a great question. Um, so ul- ultimately, this happened under the orders of Constans II, Second who was the emperor in the Roman, uh, or in the Byzantine East at the time. But, you know, as it was at the time and place, church and state, you know, the emperor and the patriarchs were often in tandem. So the patriarch of Constantinople at the time was also supporting the arresting and uh, the trials, you know, the convictions against Maximus, as were many other bishops. So it was sort of like a lot of leaders in the church, but also of the empire together. Which is, by the way, it's remarkable because Maximus wasn't even a priest. He wasn't even a leader in the church. He was actually just a monk.
1: That's interesting. So I read that the Bishop of Rome, Martin I, agreed with Maximus and held a council to establish that Jesus had two wills, but he was also arrested and exiled and died from cold and starvation. So Maximus was not alone in his beliefs, right?
3: Absolutely right. Uh, there's a famous line. Uh, I might get in trouble from some for for uh, for quoting Uh, where at his trial, one of his trials, they say, why do you, these are other Greek speakers, right? Maximus speaks Greek. They say, why do you keep aligning with the Western, the Latin church? Why do you love them so much? And you hate us. And he says, I love the Latins because with them, I share a faith. And I love the Greeks because with them, I share a language. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um, uh, so he definitely wasn't alone. And Maximus uh, several times throughout his life had to go to, he, he's Greek speaking, we'll get into his origins later, but he had to go to the West several times where Latin was the, the dominant language in North Africa and, and even in Rome. And so he actually had quite a network of people, of, of other abbots, leaders of the church, priests, patriarchs that were supporting him, including, like you say, the Pope at the time. Pope Martin is also, yeah, he also dies, and he's supporting Maximus's views. But then kind of interestingly, I wanted to add that the next Pope, Pope Vitalian, he seems to have backed off supporting Maximus because he he he's he had an agreement that he made with the Byzantine Empire and the in the Church of the East uh at the time. And so Maximus, as far as Maximus knew, when he was when he was imprisoned and almost dying, he actually kind of he he was under the impression that the, the new Pope was actually against him now.
1: Right. So kind of going along with that, could you tell us more about Maximus's life? You mentioned that he was just a monk. So how did yeah. how did he become so influential?
3: That's a very good question. And I think it gets to the heart. It's it's what makes Maximus such a fascinating figure in church history, I think. I I should say up front, I'm gonna do the kind of nerdy scholarly thing and say <laughs> Well, actually, it's super complicated. You know, blah blah blah. Here's all these, and it is complicated because Maximus was such a a kind of, uh, you might say, charismatic figure, which also meant he was a polarizing figure. People asked, that there actually were different lives of Maximus. Sometimes, once produced by his opponents and enemies trying to slander him, and and so they paint wildly different pictures of Maximus's background. Also, Maximus himself doesn't talk about himself hardly at all. So actually, we don't know a lot about Maximus's life. We don't even exactly, we're not even 100% sure where he was born and raised. The, the standard idea is that he was he was born and raised in Constantinople, the capital. He, he received a sort of really great education there. And that is clear that like in his writings, that he's very well educated, not just in theology and in the Bible, but also philosophy and kind of the current, uh, the highest education of the time. Um, and, and then he he becomes a sort of uh, a person in the court of the emperor and then leaves that life to go become a monk. That's sort of the, the story. Uh, other people would say, uh, no, actually, he was born in Palestine, kind of in the land where Jesus was. Um, and he was, uh, you know, uh, there's a kind of slanderous story that's like, and he was put on the steps of a, a monastery that was actually already full of heretics and raised by them, you know, this like... So you're never really sure, but basically all I can say is this. Maximus was so persuasive and well-respected and revered, even through his just his writings or sometimes in public debates, that he was sought after regularly for what he thought about everything from difficult passages in the Bible to difficult passages in prior church fathers and the tradition. So actually, most of his writings are just responses to questions people send him. And I don't really know how to explain that. I mean, he had, you know, some friends that were important politically and in the church and so forth. So there's certainly that part. But I also think people just thought he was so wise and so helpful and clarifying about the Christian faith that he just be, he just had this reputation and there's a sort of charism to him. That so so much so that as you began the episode, right? As even as an 80-year-old man who doesn't even have an official position in the church, or certainly not in the empire, the empire and the church are still so the leaders are still so concerned about him not just sowing division, but just him not being quiet. They just want him to be quiet. They're, they're like, We're not going to convince you, <laughs> but can you just stop talking about this? You know, and he's like, No. Um, so all all we really know about him is that he's extremely well educated. He's extremely well-respected. He is a monk, so he lives a life of prayer, spirituality, asceticism, fasting, and so forth, and um, and that he has a pretty, pretty uh, extensive network of influential friends. But honestly, beyond that, there's not a lot I can say very, very certainly.
1: Right. So I've read that the emperor released a decree that there shouldn't be, quote, any discussion a one will or two energy or one energy, two wills or two energies, which might lead to future controversies, fights or brawls. That sounds like something today people today might say, why argue about these things? So to most people, this whole discussion sounds like a pretty small difference. So why was Maximus willing to lose his life for this?
3: Another excellent question. You guys already touched on it a little bit in your in your opening summary. Um, He thought It wasn't just a matter, you know, it's not like uh, they're fighting over the answer to a difficult math problem, (laughs) you know, or calculus or something. Um, It's not an abstract thing. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. For Maximus, it really was about whether or not Jesus can save us. And as I think one of you already said, um, he thought, look, if if we end up saying that Jesus does not have a human will because he he just there's got to be a point at which there, there's just one something and that's one will and that's the Divine will. Not only can we not read like Luke, you know very well because it seems in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but your will be done. It seems like there's some kind of interaction or tension between the two wills in Christ but also um if he doesn't if he can't if God himself can't will, rightly in a human will then human wills aren't saved they're not made whole they're not healed it would be like um you know saying uh like like someone going to a doctor and being like well you know I need a surgery I need to re- I need to have this organ replaced they're going to cut into me and prepare everything uh to to replace it and maybe even fix up some littler things along the way but they're not going to actually end up changing the organ right but it's like but that's the whole point I mean, Sin comes from our will, willing the wrong thing. And so if he can't assume our will, and even in the face of the worst fear, death and suffering, still choose what's good, still choose God rather than sin. If, if God himself can't will with a human will in the face of death, then all of us who have human wills in the face of death, we were all going to die. How are we going to have the power joined with Christ to, you know, will rightly with the grace of God given to us through Christ. So that's why I think he thought it was so important because it wasn't just an abstract sort of weird debate, but it really had to do with whether or not could God could completely join himself with us so that we could completely be joined with God.
1: That kind of reminds me of a quote that Maximus said, where he says that Christ showed us a whole, a wholly new way of being human, which I think is just so beautiful and kind of relates to what you were saying um maximus the confessor is a very cool name so if this is a little bit silly but if you were to go down in history with a special title like maximus the confessor what would you want that title to be
3: oh man it's hard to top that maximus the confessor you know i'm tempted to go for like the great or uh, or if i was being really pious we could say like jordan the small but probably i would just say jordan the seeker Mm-hmm. i also like max i want to seek after what's true and so maybe that would be mine
2: those are good <laughs> so you've written a whole book about maximus what do you like most about him
3: i think what i like most about him is that he thinks that christ reveals the truth about the entire universe so he wants to think not just like religions over here and then i'm gonna do like science over here and math over here. he wants to see the connections between everything in christ of course, the greatest connection is God, creator, and creature, human, joined together in Christ. So he really thinks, you know, like Colossians 1 says that he's the firstborn of all creation, and also he's the principal of all creation. So he's the cre- creature, the greatest perfect creature, but also the creator. And I think for Maximus, he wants to see then all the connections in and through Christ. And that really draws me, because I think we live in a world now where there's just a lot of stuff going on and there's a lot of stuff we're learning and we're like, what's going on? How does this relate to my faith? I think Maximus is one of those people that can help us try to make the connections.
2: That's amazing. Do you have a favorite quote from Maximus?
3: Yes, I do. It's uh, it's the one that my book's kind of dedicated to. He says um, that the word of God, God himself wills always and in, in all things to actualize the mystery of his incarnation. Always and in all things.
2: That's a great quote. I love that. It seems that the emperors during this time wanted to silence people like Maximus only because what they were thinking wasn't convenient for the kingdom. Is that true?
3: Yes, absolutely. It's never just a like, you know, a kind of problem that we're working out in a study room somewhere or in a library. The emperors are always also thinking about how this division or this disagreement is going to affect them politically, which is, by the way, especially important at this time. Important at this time because the Persian Empire to the east is always attacking the empire, and then sort of the the uh, the Arabs from the Sinai Peninsula and the Islam is is rising at the time, attacking from the south, and so yes, that was a pressing concern.
2: Uh, so a lot of people still think that way today, like you said, even Christians, that they say that it's better to be united, never mind what we believe. But if we just look for what's convenient, we're going to follow a different religion, right?
3: Mm. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, too, is um, if we don't care about what we believe, we sort of we sort of act like um, we're finished learning from our own faith. That's what I really like about Maximus is he doesn't just want to get it right. He wants to get it deeper. He wants to understand it at a deeper level, and so one amazing thing that we don't have time to talk about is that he can look back into even what prior Christians have said that look like they contradict each other, and he can find a way to synthesize and see the good in both sides and bring them together. So it isn't the case that just because you care a lot about what you believe that you're always trying to exclude everyone else. You might actually be trying to make a creative synthesis.
2: So this is kind of different, in a separate track. But <laughs> Maximus, so I know that Maximus wrote. A lot more, not just about this subject, but his willingness to die for this doctrine is what impressed us the most. Maybe when we're older, we'll read your book and find out more about Maximus. So.
3: <laughs> yes, when you do, please submit your corrections and I will duly make the note.
0: <laughs> okay, Dr. Wood, before you go, we have a question from two of our listeners and a couple of questions that we ask all of our guests. The question from our listeners is not about Maximus, but it's about the early church. So we figured that you could uh, help us answer it. Here's the question. Hello, we are Elias, age 10, and Asa, age 8, from Pennsylvania. We've just recently learned about your, uh, your podcast and love it. Our question is, what do you know about Pertua, um, Pertua a martyr from 200 A.D.? Hi, Elias and Anza. Thank you so much for your encouragement. We know a little about Perpetua, but we're sure Doctor Wood knows a lot more. Doctor Wood, would you like to answer for us?
3: Yes, and that's that's Perpetua, right?
0: Or Perpetua, sorry.
3: Okay, no, I just want to make sure because I was like, oh no, it might be somebody I don't know about. <laughs> um, yeah, Perpetua. Yes, she was a a kind of well off uh, woman in the Roman Empire at the end, like they said at the end of uh, the two hundreds. And actually, one of the most interesting things about her, she ends up being martyred for her faith and her dad's trying to persuade her. She just had a baby. So he would constantly come to the place where she was imprisoned and like bring her newborn baby and say, like, don't you want to be a mother? How could you die? And she says, I am a Christian. I can do no other. You can't be what you're not. You know, Um, but one of the interesting things is, is about. We have an account called the the uh, the martyrdom of Perpetua and Felicity, and are about uh, I think if I remember right, two thirds of it is written by Perpetua herself, and I think it's one of the very few, if not the only case that we have uh, have a, a writing from a woman in all of antiquity, and it's actually from a saint and a martyr, Saint Perpetua.
0: Okay Elias and Azza also asked if we could do an episode about John Bunyan and our answer is yes. We're just going chronologically so that people who are using Simonetta's cars Simonetta cars book church history in their school curriculum can use this as a resource. We'll get there. But now our final question is to our guest. How do you, did you become interested in church history and what do you do in your free time?
3: <laughs> well, honestly I became interested in church history because of reading the Bible. Um, what I, what, you know, I was taught a lot about the Bible. I read the Bible a lot. I actually went to a Bible college when I was, when I was in college, um, um, early twenties. And I started, I I love doing that. And I still, to this day, want to study scripture, but then I also got interested in how did other Christians throughout all of history read scripture? Was it similar to the way I'm reading it or not? Why or why not? Why do people read the same scripture differently, even though they're script—they're all Christians and they believe it's inspired word of God? So uh, so that's actually how I got into church history is I wanted to know how other people throughout all the centuries that have come before me read the same book that I'm reading right now and why they may or may not read it differently. So that's, that's really the scripture is what led me to church history. What do I do in my free time? Wow, what is free time? I don't even know. Uh, I really what I do is uh actually my full time job, if you want to put it that way, is I'm a full I'm a stay at home dad. My wife's a nurse, so she works full time and I'm home with the four girls. So most of the time I'm changing diapers, preparing lunches, uh doing laundry. <laughs> so that's it. Now, if I had real free time, maybe I would say, uh, yeah, I would just like to read books.
0: Those are great answers. Dr. Wood, we are so thankful that you have decided to spend this time with us and share your knowledge, but we have to say goodbye for now. Before we go, we just want to remind our listeners that if you have a question or comment, you can email it to questions at kidstarkchurchhistory.org and enter to win a copy of Simonetta's Carr's most recent book, Church History, which was named Best Children's Nonfiction by World Magazine. And our, on our website, You will also find past episodes, special offers, news, recommended readings, and more. And don't forget to tell your friends where they can find us. In partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and on behalf of my co-hosts, Emma, uh, Sophia, and I'm Trinity, uh, thank you for listening to Kids Talk Church History.